I think that in terms of the next few years, it's going to be around more and more people in business learning data science. And at the moment, more people are understanding analytics, but very few understand the opportunities that machine learning can provide. And it's definitely an area where data futurology focuses on providing that knowledge and that content for non-technical business leaders. I wanted to say a big thank you to our sponsor, Talent Insights. Talent Insights are Australia's leading data specialist recruitment business. They are experts in recruitment strategy and delivery for analytics and data teams. They are the go-to recruitment business for all your data roles in Australia, and they can help both with permanent hires and short-term project-focused data resources. I've used Talent Insights in the past, and I've always found them fantastic to work with. Visit them at talentinsights.com.au. I will briefly tell you about the, the topics that we had in the Advancing AI series to see if there's any questions that come up based on that. So in episode one, it was about making AI responsible and getting ROI from the investments in AI. And that was with Courtney Abercrombie from the US, which is great. Second episode was breaking through the fear, uncertainty, and doubt in AI. And that was with Stephen Hardy from Ambiata, who is one of the sponsors. And we had Peter Worthington A, which is the chief data officer from South Australia. We had Dave Abrahams, which is the executive general manager for data from IAG. And we had Catherine Lopez, um, head of data strategy and analytics at MeBank. That was great. Episode three was about dangerous AI, getting AI ethics right at the outset. Um, that was with Ed Santow, who is a human rights commissioner uh, for Australia. Uh, Dr. Ian Opperman, who is a chief data scientist for New South Wales government, and Jade Har, who is the head of data ethics at NAB. So that was really interesting. Then episode four was um, FOMO is not an AI strategy. And it had three real stories that worked. That was with Daniel, Daniel Shaw Dennis, senior vice president um, at Yellowfin. And that was with Emma Early, a customer experience director at Yellowfin. And Yellowfin were sponsoring that series, which was great. Episode five, we had um, structuring AI teams with Mina Karha from um, Finair. Uh, she's the data analytics lead there. So she was from, from Sweden. Uh, calling in, and it was like past midnight her, for her, for her time. Um, amazing. And we had Glenn Bunker in that episode as well, executive manager for data science at REA Group, which are doing um, a lot of really interesting work. Episode six was with Bede Hackney, um, uh, who's a country manager from Databricks. Um, so we, we spoke about Databricks and Lakehouse. Um, that was a really great episode too. And Databricks is sponsoring that series. Then we had large companies how, or sorry, episode seven was how large companies can develop AI with an agile culture and fit for purpose government uh, governance. That was with Tim Sparks, um, who is a former chief data scientist at NAB, but now is um, the GM of data at carsales.com. So really interesting episode there. And then we had episode eight, which um, had excellent reviews, um, one that I really enjoyed as well. And it was applying AI and automation to improve customer experience. And that was with Dan German, who is a chief decision scientist at Commonwealth Bank. Um, and he leads the largest, um, the largest AI team in Australia. And um, 
Comeback is is known for being ahead of the curve in this stuff, and what he was sharing uh, definitely showed us why. And that was an awesome episode, like rave reviews. Episode nine was delighting the customer with AI. That was with Glenn Bunker, uh, executive manager for data science for REA Group, which I mentioned before. So he came back, and with Lionel Cole, who is the group data and analytics officer from Dentsu International, which is great. Then episode. 10, yeah, was about um, um, ML ops. So essentially um, productionizing and scaling the use of machine learning models. And uh, we had that with uh, people from my team, uh, from from my work. Uh, so we had Alex Diamond, who's a data engineering lead at Honeysuckle Health, and, um, and Desmet, who is the data science manager at Honeysuckle Health. And they shared how they uh, together work together um, to create our um, our machine learning ops um, and our platform and our processes, CI/CD scaling, the use of machine learning, etc. And we discuss how to go from um, you know running batch predictions on a model on your laptop as kind of like a step one in the in the MLOps maturity curve, going from there to a step five, which is uh, streaming predictions. <coughs> oh, sorry. Uh, so that was, that was um, yeah, really, really good. Um, give me one second. And then uh, that we had streamlining business processes with AI, which is Tim Johnson, uh, head of automation from Suncorp Group. This was episode 11. And then we had uh, AI innovation in the energy sector with Lachlan Wallace, uh, who's the chief data officer from Woodside. And like they, uh, he mentioned how they run 10,000 algorithms an hour uh, are being retrained in their data centers. That's insane. So the fact that they have kind of like a closed loop system in their energy plants, it means that everything um, um, everything is IoT. So everything has a sensor that's being sent to the cloud and they're running ten, like 10,000 uh, predictive models um, an hour and then providing those recommendations back to the operators. Amazing. Um, and then the, the last episode, episode 13, was crucial steps to successfully scale AI. And that was with Moha Ganji, who is the head of data science and AI at ANZ Bank. Um, so yeah. And, and Moha is a, is a very clear, very structured uh, thinker that, that like provided key points um, in really important ones, really well structured. I really enjoy that conversation. So through that, sorry, I missed a, um, a couple of comments. Um, so Jason, uh, Jason says, great to know you had struggles like everyone else. Uh, not for you, obviously, <laughs> but um, that successful people do have struggles and learnings from them. Yeah, definitely. Been um you know tough like yeah like just like life life is is tough um and you need like you need help you need friends you need family um everyone goes through ups and downs uh and um you have to be willing to accept help uh, as well as uh, be willing to to help others um and when you are going through a tough period uh, understand that. Other people are not going through a tough period at that point. So uh, be willing to get help, ask for help. 
um, that's that's really important. Uh, you're not alone. From Conrad, we had a lull on getting bored on the travel. Yeah, that was uh, maybe a moment of, of moment of too much honesty there. Um, Jason, uh, unexpected things are often the best as you don't have the expectations. I agree. Uh, Cheryl, uh, yes, very excited to see the development happening in healthcare at the moment. Yep, great. And uh, from Jason, I was surprised by the interest I had in ML Ops, but definitely hope to, to be able to implement that for my clients in the future. Yeah, it was, um, I've uh, been surprised too. Like I've really gotten uh, more and more into essentially like data engineering, um, a little bit during my last role and, and a lot during, or a lot, a little bit through my last couple of roles, but a lot during this role and gotta say it's been surprisingly enjoyable um and really important in the uh, part of the value chain to be able to get the the value of ai to end customers so that's that's really good um and the questions that have been coming in through the q a uh how do you from craig savage um hey mate uh how do you use data to improve data futurology any stories on setting up infrastructure surprise insights etc um, that's that's a really good question. Um, so in terms of data in data futurology, there is there is um, yeah, it's it's obviously uh, an area of of passion, and and it's been um, generally in podcasts. So when we when we did only the podcast, there is very or at least there was very limited analytics um, at the time, um, and and then it's been improving a lot. Uh, in the last couple of years. So now you're getting closer to getting metrics like you would get in in YouTube videos, for example, or Wistia or, or things like that. And by that, I mean getting a better understanding of who is the, the audience that's listening, understanding like at what points people drop off. If you start with like 100% of your audience, do, does 50% drop off at minute two? Or is it like a slow decline all the way to minute 60, right? Um, and the, I think the most, oh, a lot of surprises, definitely. One that I am still reluctant, so I would love to get the opinion of, of people who are on the call today. One that I'm still a bit reluctant to accept, and uh, it's it's unlike me to not listen to the data, Um is shorter podcasts. So um, the what what the data is saying uh, on this front is that um, podcasts should be about up to thirty minutes for us for our for our audience. Um, so uh, that's that's when that's when people set to waver essentially. Um, but it's interesting because when you're in a conversation with somebody, which is a lot of the the um, the episodes that I do is is about interviewing somebody. It takes a while to get them kind of like to warm up and and be able to share some some of the more interesting insights. Um, we we I always do a call with the with the guest ahead of time to prep um, and discuss content and what they can share and the the use cases. And I'm constantly pressing them to give us a specific use cases and to, to talk about uh, exact challenges and things. Um, so, but still, sometimes it takes takes a while to 
to get them to share the good stuff. Um, so as a result, I've kept them an hour, but the, yeah, the, from what we're saying is that they should be 30 minutes. And I have from Craig Savage saying that he listens to the podcast at 2x speed. So they are half an hour. It's awesome. Awesome. Huge fan. I'm a huge fan of, uh, of uh, listening to, to things. Um, yeah. At one and a half or 2x speed. That's, that's awesome. So that's, that's been, um, Jason at one and a half times. Yeah. Nice. That's been a, an interesting um, learning that I haven't still sort of jumped on. Uh, and, but besides that, uh, it's been like the, the, the content. Craig says it's on hearing your voice at normal speed. Yeah. Especially now that I'm sick, like um, double whammy. So it's been, a, it's been, uh, useful to understand the the context, the content that people want to hear, uh, and um, and uh, the type of questions to to ask, uh, and where to where to show where to share the the content. So we moved into YouTube, for example. Uh, so things like that has come out of um, trying to better understand the the audience. So you guys, that's what we're we're all about. Um, we have another question from David or David Rios says, I recently graduated from masters of data science and looking for a job has been very challenging. I see a gap between uni and industry, especially with the cloud knowledge. Yep. Can you give us any recommendation of which sort of projects to show to potential employees that to show that I have a good foundation or knowledge? That is a great, great, great question. Oh, we have a, uh, comments uh, from Cheryl. She says he listens to one and a half times speed as well. That's great. And from Anuradha says um, your podcasts of one hour uh, are just the right intense discussions on data with experts. So that's good. Keep them coming. Great. Jason, could you do two parts per guest so you can promote the second part as a teaser? Yeah. Record it at once, but edit it into two episodes. That's an awesome idea. Yeah. Because we have had guests where we had to stop the recording in between and then do the second half separately. And um, you're starting slow again, but um, recording as one and releasing it too, that's, that's, a, great, that's a great idea. Thanks, Jason. Um, thanks a lot. So going back to, to David's question around um, graduating from uni, uh, it, it uh, sometimes doesn't cover all the knowledge that's required in industry um that's definitely recognized by industry so as a hiring manager you are worried about taking a, about the risk of the decision that you're that you're making when you're trying to hire somebody and um the person trying to get the job should do everything they can to de-risk the decision um for the hiring manager which obviously uh david or david is is thinking about with with this question because he wants to say, he's saying like how to show that he has good foundational knowledge and that the short answer is uh projects projects that you can share and that can be if you, if you use um projects with with um open data open source data and um and have be able to walk through uh the different components of your project and the explain the trade-offs that you had to make in your in your decisions that like just speaks volumes um because yeah it, it really shows that you're able to take something end to end um that that yeah i've um that has always been 
the best. So if and that that will be very job dependent. So if you if you're going for jobs that are more of a business analyst or or sorry business analytics or or, or data analyst. Um, then having like good visualizations, good storytelling, good presentation is going to be um, much, much more valuable and kind of like the key, the key components. Um, if you're going for, for a data scientist, um, definitely understanding cloud is going to be uh, important. Um, um, probably not the, not the key. Um, so for example, like I've had, I've had people that applied for jobs and in there, in their CV, they say, I'm an expert at convolutional neural nets and tree-based algorithms. And I go, great, um, in the interview, I go, I'm, I tell them, I'm like, that jumped out at me in your CV, explain to me CNNs. And they can't. <laughs> and, um, and they really stumble and, and then they, they, and I say, okay, don't worry about that. Um, explain to me um, uh, ensembling on tree-based algorithms. And I want to, yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear about bagging, right? Um, and, um, and they, um, or bagging, boosting, sorry. Uh, and, and they don't, they don't, they can't explain that. So, so maybe this is kind of like a tangential tip is um, good to have things in your CV, but be prepared to speak to any, any points. Like I've had senior people apply for jobs, like people are going to be managing teams, um, they're going to report to me and they've had particular tools. And sometimes like I just had an interest in the tool and I said, Oh, like, I see that you used SageMaker. Tell me about your experience with, with AWS SageMaker. And they can't say anything about it. I'm like, Oh, well, okay. You're right. <laughs> so um, yeah, kind of like a, a tip there is to put things that you, that you are prepared to and, and are prepared to talk about and can discuss well and have projects, have projects that, that you can, um, that you've done end to end can be with open data. It can be um, showing the the code, um, getting all the way to insight, uh, an interactive dashboard, a PowerPoint, uh, having recommendations, um, showing the predictions, and showing like any flaws in your predictions or any talking about the flaws in your predictions or flaws in your process is actually good. Um, yeah, some of the best people that I've hired have walked me through their process and then said, this is not as good because of X or Y, or sometimes like I had, I had a, a woman applied for a job and she's been awesome. Um, I worked with her for years and she um, was looking to get insights out of the data uh, using machine learning models. So she wasn't using machine learning for predictions. She was using, using machine learning for insights. And as a result, she, um, she overfitted the data on purpose and she was like this model is overfit that's so it can better learn the data and give me better insights she's like i'm not going to use it for predictions and i was like ah awesome because as she was talking and showing me through the process i was thinking like you just overfit this model like what are you doing and then she tells me without me saying anything she said oh i overfit this model and this is why i'm like done you're in come in <laughs> you got a job um so yeah, that helps de-risk the, the process showing showing capability. And um, and think about how are the different ways that you can demonstrate the end-to-end the -end process. Um, so you can do the work, obviously. You can end with a, um, and you can have code to show and data and um, exploratory da data analysis and insights and et cetera, the models, machine learning models. You can have um, 
a PowerPoint presentation or everything, anything, anything you want, anything you can think of, uh, a visualization that's online. And then you can record some videos about it, about the end-to-end -end process or each of the individual segments. Um, they don't have to be long. They can literally be three to five minutes. And um, I can tell you, whenever I've been interested in a candidate based on their CV or their application, and they've had videos, I always watch the videos. And sometimes it's videos of people presenting, like kind of like up on stage and saying like, this is my analysis. If you, for people that did like a hackathon and things like that, and I'm always like, great, that's great. So um, yeah, I encourage you, uh, David or, or David, to, um, to do end-to-end -end projects um, uh, using open source data and have, yeah, you know, code, visualizations, dashboards, PowerPoint presentations that then you you show in in uh, for the interviews in your CV, give them links and create videos. Um, I can't believe we're almost out of time. Um, so from Anuradha, sorry, uh, can a person start a business by putting intellectual capital and not the money and not the money capital, um, i.e., funding? and try to get capital funding through angel investors? Yes, definitely. Is this a feasible approach to start and develop any business? Yes, looking forward to hearing your advice. Um, so yeah, if you have if you have an idea and you can uh, build a, a, a proof of concept or a prototype, then um, there are groups uh, in, uh, David says, very, th very helpful. Thanks, Felipe, no worries. Thanks, mate, glad, glad to help. Uh, so going back to the to the angel investor question, yeah, if you can build uh, a a prototype, a POC, and and have some kind of like scaffolding of 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 a business business plan, and I, and I was hesitant to say business plan because it doesn't have to be very detailed. So just like very like five PowerPoint slides tops, maximum five. Um, you can go in with with a approval concept and and some couple couple of slides uh, they're obviously well thought out you can go and present in front of angel investors which is what we do with my business so in all of the capital cities there are um, groups of angel investors and they're kind of like older wealthy people uh, they get together once a month or once every two months and they have startups pitching to them um, and then what they do which is a really interesting good process is that they um, they say who wants to, um, so you're presenting to say 50, 50 of them. And there might be three or four that are interested in investing in your business. You say how much you need and what your valuation is. And um, if there's four of them that want to invest in your business, they will appoint one person to be on your board. So you don't have to deal with all of them, essentially, if you don't want to. And that's, that's been really good. Uh, the only sort of pro tip that I would give you or maybe insider information is that whatever your valuation is, they're going to try and talk you down. Uh, so ask for more than what you think. Uh, so I've seen people that they're like, uh, and I've heard angel investors like discussing, they're like, oh, I really like that business. Yeah, no, it definitely has potential. Um, they ask for 50 grand for 20% of their business, but you know, uh, I would have given them 80 grand, but because they asked for 50, I've got on for them 40. <laughs> and I'm like, like, what? What are you guys doing? But anyway, that's how they roll. So, uh, but 
bump it up a little bit. Don't be ridiculous about it either. Uh, and you can go and pitch several times. And there's also uh, VC firms in around Australia. Uh, it's a good online community. If you have any questions, definitely feel free to reach out to me as well. Um, good one. And maybe you might do one other question and they will wrap up. Uh, question from Jason. Does the new challenges and environments keep you energized? Seems like you enjoy change. Most people seem to struggle with this. What strategies and decision-making techniques do you adapt to the change you're presented with? Great, great question. So do I like change? Yes, love it. Uh, I, um, I've, I've changed my mind over, the, over my approach um, throughout my, my career. So when I was young, I was like, oh, I need a new company, new role, I need to be moving into, into change constantly so I can keep learning, uh, wanted to see different things. That's something that attracted me about consulting, being able to like drop, drop into an organization, um, understand it quickly, be able to solve some problems, take that off, get out, go to the next one. Hop from industry to industry and, and find the similarities. And that's something that I particularly really enjoy. Like I've been told a lot of times that I'm quite meta apparently <laughs> in the sense that I, um, I always look for the overarching patterns. Um, so for me being able to see different industries and looking for change, it's, I don't focus on as much. I don't focus as much on what's different. I focus on what's the same. And I try to find frameworks that are reusable. And uh, that's something that I really enjoy to say. And often like, like I'm not, I'm not coming up with these frameworks. Like I'm just, I'm just searching for them. I find, I jump into a new area and I go, cool. I can't make sense of this. or I don't know what's going on. I'm going to like research, read up, try to find something that, that gives me kind of like a, a structure um, that then I can hang my knowledge on. And um, and having those mental models, um, searching for those mental models, um, I found particularly useful. Um, so that's that's something that I that I always always go for. Um, and there are so many similarities, and 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 it, and it helps you. I think that that will obviously I'm biased, but what I like about that approach is that it um it usually kind of like takes you up a level in the in your focus uh, and by that I mean that if um, how can I explain this it's one of the things I liked about finance that it was finance is an abstraction um, about how every company works so every company every every organization creates or every company creates financials right so like finance is this language that is across everything and then once you understand that language you can see not only into these companies, but also how the economy works because it's interactions of different companies that are kind of like telling you what they're doing in this in this language. Um, and being able to analyze analyze things from that level, it was really interesting. And, it, and definitely from like my time at my company and at ANZ, I got to learn a lot more about the, the industry, uh, how different industries act kind of like behind the scenes because um, like, the bank would be giving loans to, to companies that you never interact with as a consumer, 
the B2B world is is huge. Um, so that was that was really interesting and trying to find the the patterns there, but also the patterns in their problems and then the patterns in approaches to solving those problems was something that I that I really enjoyed and and really liked um, seeing the um, for example approaches of how to leverage unique data um, unique skills um, and how to make make that into products that can be sold to multiple organizations that's something that I've that I've refined and carried with with um, with me for throughout my career um, and I've been refining every time I come across it but yeah I do I do like um, new new challenges and and now and as I said like before I liked moving on quickly um and then in the last few years i've noticed that that there's a lot of challenges in not solving one problem in an organization but transforming an organization and and that's a long road and you got to build relationships and and be known in an industry and, and etc so um at the moment at least i'm i'm quite excited about uh trying to do that uh, with with honeysuckle health and and the work that we're doing for the healthcare industry um and seeing seeing what we can do it's it's a really fragmented industry uh where data sits in lots of silos lots of pockets um and it can be it can be providing so much more utility and value to society if it was, um, you know, well-treated, well-analyzed and, and insights to be provided back. So um, I'm keen, keen to, to do that. Uh, Jason says, cool. I'm a patterns person too. Uh, I do everything in my business and actually my life as well. I do it with everything in my business and my life. It's hard for me to stop myself. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. I'm the same. That is great. Um, Okay, I might just do the, the last two questions uh, from Lucas. Uh, hey, Felipe, thanks for sharing your story. I have a question about machine learning ops. What is your view on using feature stores? Do you currently use it when developing your models? Ah, feature stores, Lucas, uh, is something that is very dear and very close to my heart. So yes, um, we spend a lot of time um, designing, uh, defining and creating and using our feature stores. And generally go for um, either open source tools that do feature stores or kind of like create and manage ourselves. Um, so in this case, we've sort of created and managed ourselves. Um, it's been super helpful. And constantly looking for better ways to, to do it. So um, for the people that, that don't know, um, if you have kind of like one variable or one column of data for your machine learning model, then that's one feature. And if you're trying to solve a problem uh, through machine learning, you generally have a, a, a data set, like a table of data that's being fed into the model. And that's your feature table, or like most lots of features in the table. And then you have kind of like the variable you're trying to predict. Um, so that's a feature table. And then you have lots of feature tables that are um, reusable and can be fed into multiple machine learning models and whether the definitions are agreed and it's tested data um, of high quality, uh, that that is a feature store. So multiple feature tables, um, and and the feature table can be around a domain. So for example, customer or policy or plan, um, sometimes like suburb, whatever might be your domain, and your your feature table is around everything customer say or everything policy, and then you can reuse that for multiple 
uh, analysis from multiple machine learning models, super high value uh, for, for um, medium uh, analytics teams and, and onwards. Um, so it's something that I've always tried to, to put in place in my team and we um, use them in, in anger. Okay, last question uh, from Conrad. Hey, mate. Um, how mature do you think the Australian AI and analytics landscape is? If you can talk about where you think the industry is heading, it would be nice to hear your view. That's a great question. I think I've actually been quite happy, maybe, maybe impressed is the word, with the pace of maturity. So, for example, up to a few years ago, maybe maybe even four years ago, I was always like, oh, Australia, we're so far behind. Like, we got to get going and come on. And, and um, I was, yeah, a bit, bit disappointed. But maybe now I'm feeling better because I'm trying to do something to, like with, with the podcast, right? Trying to discuss the, the issues that are going to help us become more, more mature uh, in this space as a as a country and, and hopefully hopefully beyond that as well um, but I, I do I do see maturity coming into Australia like in the last couple of years like the rise of machine learning engineers and um, the need for data scientists and how we moved from like have finding a shortage of data scientists um, to for having a shortage of data engineers. Sorry, I, I mentioned when well, I think I said data scientists, but I meant the short, the rise of data engineers and the rise of uh, machine learning engineers. So the fact that we're finding that as an industry, we're finding feeling the pain, the shortage in the engineering side of data science, that's great because that means that we are thinking about scaling and serving and automated testing and, and um introducing engineering practices around like bias like that's that's the the place that i feel we're we're in now that we've moving from kind of like a cottage industry of having models uh running on on laptops or computers to something that can be served at, at scale and um that's that's an exciting transition i'm also seeing more and more startups in australia combining domain expertise with ai and uh, that coupling is is super super powerful, um, and that definitely takes a, a degree of maturity. Because at least like when I had my company, which is more than ten years ago, we were just kind of like we can do. It wasn't even called data science. Data science then, um, shit, more than ten years. Oh man, I'm old. Um, it was just called advanced analytics, and, and our, our pitch was literally like hey we can do advanced analytics do you want to make good decisions call us terrible <laughs> well now it's kind of like people startups understand the problem that they're trying to solve from the customer's perspective and understand um also how to solve it with with ai and i, I that's that's a, a huge um step in the maturity that i've really liked to see so i do think that we're doing better i think it's a it's a journey um and um yeah i think I, I i do i do like where we're heading i think that in terms of the next few years it's going to be around more and more people in business learning data science and at the moment more people are understanding analytics but very few understand the opportunities the machine learning can provide in terms of predictions and insights uh, so that's that's going to be a really good 
kind of like uptake of, of an influx of knowledge that is going to hit Australian businesses. That's going to create a lot of value for, for the country. Um, I'm really excited by, by that. And it's, and it's definitely an area where data futurology focuses on in, in kind of like providing that, um, that knowledge and, and that content for non-technical leaders or for business leaders that need to understand what to do with this technology and understand what's the art of the possible when trying to discuss the challenges of taking it to market. So I think that's going to continue. And from, from data science perspective, I think it's going to go into two different camps uh, that are going to be better and better defined over time. I think one, t- one camp is going to be the software engineer or data engineer plus data science so kind of like the the technical camp um and technical by, by that i mean the kind of like technology technology camp might be a better description and then the other camp um i think is going to be the domain knowledge camp and both of these have deep ai in it um but the the technical camp is going to be kind of like ml ops data ops data engineering um what else what else are they are they calling it kind of like large infrastructures management um being able to run experimentation so experimentation platforms um um, probably like managing crms as as ai platforms um yeah very very highly technical highly with with a lot with a big technology focus will be kind of like one camp, I think. Um, and then the other one is going to be the dom- deep domain expertise plus AI and also like very technical um, AI more and more because everyone in the business is going to have more and more machine learning knowledge. Um, so the expectations are going to continue to to increase and we're ideally going to get more and more value out of it. The deep domain knowledge is going to be um, around, not at an industry level, it's not going to be like, or finance, insurance, healthcare, telco. It's not going to be at that level. It's going to be like more specialized, I think. So for example, in my job now, we have people who are medical doctors who became data analysts and data scientists. And we're like training training up other people who are medical doctors and nurses. And um, that type of like deep domain knowledge is so beneficial so beneficial like there's um yeah there if you have if you have in this case say one person who's a domain knowledge expert say a doctor working with one data scientist or machine learning expert even if they collaborate super closely which is what you want it's not going to be as good as if you have somebody who has both of those knowledge in the same head even if each of those is not added at a such an expert level as you would get if they were separate. So if you have kind of like the best doctor with the best data scientist um, working collaboratively, but then had kind of like a, I don't know, seven out of 10 doctor um, and the same person is like a six or seven out of 10 data scientist, that that person with the combination of the domain knowledge and the, and the data science skills is going to be able to do a lot more, a lot more really quickly and be able to have more kind of like opportunities um, and going to make a big differences in, in, in organizations. And I think organizations are going to be 
searching for people like that more and more for the, for people in these two camps, kind of like the technology ones and the domain expert ones. Uh, in both camps is that plus deep AI. So the 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 understanding and the knowledge of technical data science, machine learning, and AI that's going to continue continue to improve, increase. We have more research now than ever before. Uh, expectations are rising as a result of more people understanding. And that comes down to like, even in, in data privacy, governance, ethics, like expectations continue to, to rise. And, and the good thing is that, you know, a few years ago, it was seen the responsibility of data scientists to sort out all these things. But now kind of like everyone's getting involved in the business community. And sometimes like data scientists might feel that people that have no idea about AI are choosing like AI ethics or things. And I'm like, well, get in the conversation, like help them, teach them. If they have a blind spot, it's not because they're purposefully trying to not know something or like purposefully trying to be ignorant. They're interested and they're trying their best. So yeah, be kind, extend an olive branch and, um, and help them out if you can help. If you can see an area, then yeah. Definitely. And I think that's going to um, help the industry. So, yeah, really good. I think that maybe that's a good good note to end on. Uh, sorry we went so long over time, um, but, yeah, really good. So a um, couple of comments as, uh, as I was talking there. Um, Jason, thanks for your time, giving insights and background to your journey, your knowledge. Hope you feel better soon. Thanks, mate. One second. From Craig Savage, the realization that you're old sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Yep, so old, man. Uh, from Knuckles, it's so true. Thanks, mate. Good to see you. Jason, uh, so you go with the generalist rather than specialist if you had to choose? Yeah, I do. I do um, the double down on generalists. Um, yeah, definitely. From Conrad, uh, beautiful perspective, domain knowledge, plus experience and AI is a lethal combination with the right intent. Felipe, really nice to hear your story. Amazing, eclectic background. Thanks, mate. Uh, so rich experiences. Uh, oh, thanks, man. That's very kind. Um, um, yeah, no, it's too kind, man. <laughs> like, commendable success in business, amazing generosity in mind. Oh, mate, too, too kind. Thank you. Um, Thank you. No, thanks. Thanks a lot for, for coming along and being, being, um, you know, part, part of this journey. Like, you know, we, we couldn't do it and I couldn't, I couldn't do it without, without you guys. It's definitely, this is, this is something that we're doing for you, for the community. Um, so yeah, every, every time, every episode, um, the team and I are thinking about how we can provide you more value and the most amount of value. So thank you for, for being here and, and allowing us to 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 help uh hopefully hopefully we're helping and this is what we're trying to do help us uh, as a as an industry and for every person to improve their knowledge of of ai from a leadership and strategy perspective and be able to have a bigger impact in in your lives in your career in your organizations um and in our country and in our world so thanks thanks so much guys uh, it's it's an absolute pleasure um, I should mention now we're doing episodes on Fridays. Uh, so come back fr next Friday in the morning, 8.30. And we have Nona Milmeister, who's the Chief Analytics Officer from RMIT. I hope to, to see you then. And um, thanks so much for the, for the wonderful comments, guys. Um, yeah, 
Uh, Nicole says, get better soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, uh, oh, the last bit from Conrad says, uh, big thanks for doing the podcast, even while you're recovering from your cold and get well soon. Thanks, mate. Uh, from Cheryl, amazing. Thank you, Felipe. Very insightful, especially with the two camps merging gradually. Thanks. Get better soon. Um, Anuradha says, this was an amazing account of knowledge and experience in data science, AI, ML, speaking for itself. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Um, feel better soon. Look forward to more of your sessions in the future. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do more sessions if um, if if uh, you guys would like to hear some more. Definitely. Um, send me send me any any questions or or ideas for for what you would like me to talk about um yeah 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 by um commenting on the website or my email is felipe at datafuturology.com um yeah let me know keen keen to do more like these and then monica thanks for a wonderful session hope you feel better awesome thank you so much guys uh thank you for your time uh thank you to our sponsor talent insights uh this has been an awesome session really enjoyed it I uh, love, love spending time with you guys. And thank you so much for being here. See you next time, next Friday. Uh, take care and I hope you're all well. See you guys. Bye. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.